Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripes, where we discuss the history of the New York Yankees. Again, my name is Brian, and I have been a diehard Yankees fan since about 1989 or so. Um, the goal of the Historic Pinstripes is... Uh, to preserve the rich history and tradition of the New York Yankees by discussing the greatest Yankees players and moments in Yankees history. So today's episode will be a profile of the 1932 New York Yankees, um, their fourth championship in team history. And this, uh, this, th at this time, the Yankees, um, the, uh, like I said, they, that was only their fourth World Series championship um, and for their 1932 team. Um, and it was the last World Series they won with Babe Ruth on their team. It was really Babe Ruth's last great year he ever had. 1933, he also had a good year, but it wasn't quite as, I mean, it, he, you could tell he was he was not the same player. Um, but 32, he was still, um, it was probably like the last of his really great years. Um, but anyway, so this was the last year they won with Babe Ruth. Um, and of course, 1932 was known for the infamous called shot that Babe Ruth hit in 1932 against the Cubs. In Game Three, as I had mentioned in a previous episode, um, a, few, a few a couple months ago, um, you can uh, feel free to check that out after this episode if you would like. Uh, but anyways, moving on, the 1932 New York Yankees that year they were 107 and 47 um, for a win-loss record. They were first in attendance. Um, First out of eight American League teams, I believe, throughout the 1920s and 30s, um, there were pretty much every year, except for maybe a couple of years here and there, um, like 1925 and maybe some other years. I'm not, I'm not positive which ones, but there was a few years that they weren't first, but there was a lot more years in the 20s that they were first in attendance. Um, I think in the early part of the 20s, before 1923, um, the New York Giants were like the kings of New York. Um, but then, by this time in 1930, the Yankees really became the team in New York. So, um, as I said, they were first in attendance in 1932. They had a total attendance of 962,320. Um, and, of course, in the 1920s, baseball was, of course, on the rise, and even more so into the 30s, um, obviously with Babe Ruth joining the Yankees and really catapulted the game. And, you know, because Babe Ruth was this great pitcher, going to the Yankees, um, and, you know, he had already kind of started with the Red Sox making the transition to becoming a great hitter, and I think they were already, you know, they were going to make him an outfielder. I think they had already decided that, but, of course, they ended up trading him uh, or selling him to the Yankees, basically, and, um, you know, the rest is history. So, moving on, uh, as for the Yankees' projected win-loss record in 1932, according to BaseballReference.com, it was uh, 99 and 55, which basically shows, um, you know, considering if you're if the team won less than 99 games, that uh, they, they would be, of course, considered underachieving, and it just basically shows that um, the Yankees definitely overachieved that year. Um, they did better than people expected them to, which is kind of surprising. But at the same time, uh, I think when 1929. Yeah, 1929 to 1931, there were some lean years there where there, there were some older players, and um, you know they weren't quite as, they quite as they weren't the murderers row teams that people were accustomed to, and I guess 1932 they really surprised a lot of people, um, or at least they people didn't probably think that they had the same, um, the same team as they used to, but so they were 107 and 47 that year, um, as I said first in attendance, uh, they're 
top five players according to wins above replacement, which is pretty much an imperfect stat. And overall, it kind of shows you the overall player of some of these guys, which is good for some of these older guys that we don't really, we never really get to see, like uh, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Um, so the top five players according to wins above replacement for the New York Yankees in 1932. Uh, of course, number one was Babe Ruth, 8.5 wins above replacement. Lou Gehrig had an 8.2 wins above replacement. Uh, Red Ruffing, number three, starting pitcher, um, who I've talked about before, right-handed pitcher. Um, he had a 7.8 wins above replacement. Earl Coombs, the leadoff hitter, um, usually the leadoff hitter, he was getting older at this point, center fielder, um, uh, usually center fielder. I think he might have played left as well. Uh, he had a 5.1 wins above replacement. And the fifth player uh, uh, in wins above replacement was Tony Lazzari with a 4.5 wins above replacement and all those guys are hall of famers in fact the yankees had 10 hall of famers in 1932 um of course their manager joe mccarthy babe ruth lou gehrig earl coombs um, herb pennock who was their left-handed starting pitcher he was one of the at this time though lefty gomez was probably more their ace than pennock um but pennock was still he was still wasn't that bad at this point he was he was just getting older um yeah, pennock actually his better years came when he was older. If you look at some of his numbers, um, his years when he was with the Red Sox earlier in his career, his numbers are actually better If you uh, with the Yankees. Um, and if some of his postseason numbers were very, very good if you have ever gotten a chance to look those up. Um, another Hall of Famer was Joe Sewell, who was a third baseman, played 11 seasons with the Cleveland Indians, and then went on to play three more seasons with the New York Yankees. Um, so, of course, most of his career was with the Indians, but, you know, he was still a Hall of Famer. Um, so then you have Lefty Gomez, of course, who I had mentioned previously, Bill Dickey. Um, of course, he, he was like 21, 22 years old that year, I believe. Um, and he, of course, became a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest catchers ever, possibly the greatest catcher ever. I mean, I guess you could make that argument. Um, the only thing is I think, I think the greatest catcher ever would have to be Johnny Bench, um, or probably Yogi Berra, um, but that's the big uh, comparison, I would say, uh, be Johnny Bench or, or Yogi Berra. In my opinion, I kind of would go with Yogi just because I'm obviously a big Yankee fan, but you got to give Johnny Bench was a great catcher as well, so it's hard to it's hard to go against Johnny Bench, but either one. Uh, anyway, so but either way though, Bill Dickey was a great uh, catcher. Um, and he actually wasn't not a bad hitter at all. He was a very good contact hitter. Moving on, uh, uh, Red Ruffing, like I said, he was also a Hall of Fame pitcher, starting pitcher, right-handed pitcher. I mentioned him before, but I guess he had a coal mining accident when he was like 15 years old or so. And I guess uh, he actually lost like four toes in his right foot. And he was actually a very good hitter as a kid. And I, I guess obviously after the accident, he wasn't able to hit and he wasn't able to do the play he wasn't able to play as much, um, at least not in the outfield anyway. Um, obviously, missing four toes, is kind of, it kind of makes it a little hard. But um, he, he still ended up becoming, of course, a Hall of Fame pitcher. So that's pretty pretty impressive. And he was actually a very good hitting pitcher. If you look at his numbers on on Baseball Reference or, or Fangraphs or wherever um, online, uh, you'll see that Red Ruffing was actually probably one of the best hitting pitchers maybe of all time. Um, uh, and the last Hall of Famer was, of course, second baseman Tony Lazzari. 
Um, and so they had 10 Hall of Famers, like I said. Uh, Joel Sewell, just a little bit of information on Joel Sewell, um, who, of course, like I said, played 11 seasons with the Indians, third baseman. Then he went to the Yankees. He actually played shortstop for the Indians as well and eventually played third base toward the end of his career with the Yankees and Indians, of course. Um, but he was 33 years old when he was with the Yankees in 1932. I believe he came there around 1931, 1930 or so. Um, uh, so he was 33 years old, 1932 season uh, for the New York Yankees. He was a left-handed hitter, um, and his, he was a career 312 hitter as well, which I didn't realize, and he had a 391 on base percentage, so he must have had a very good eye. Um, 2,226 hits in his uh, 14-season career as well, which is pretty darn impressive. Um, and especially considering Joe Sewell is not one of those, he's not a, like a household name, like a Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, uh, Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays type of type of guy. But um, I, obviously looking at his numbers, he didn't, like with not having 3,000 hits and stuff, you wouldn't really expect him to be in the Hall of Fame. Of course, with the batting average, I mean, that was it's um, a great, very good batting average, of course, to have. But you wouldn't expect him to maybe be in the Hall of Fame. However, you can kind of see why he's in, just because of the batting average. But anyways, regardless, uh, those are the top 10. Those are the 10 Hall of Famers that are, were on the 1932 Yankees. As far as the top 12 Yankee players, um, of course, like I said, it was Ruth, Gehrig, um, Earl Coombs, and then you had uh, the Red Ruffing and Tony Lazeri. But um, after that, there was Ben Chapman, who had a 4.1 wins above replacement. Uh, there was Johnny Allen, who was a starting pitcher for the Yankees. I believe it was a regular pitcher. He had a 3.1 uh, wins above replacement. Then Lefty Gomez. Lefty Gomez, I believe, was just like a rookie. He, he was either a rookie or he was like a, um, he had only been in the league for like two years or something like that. Um, and then after that was Joel Sewell. So, um, you know, Joel Sewell was obviously a very, very good player. The rest of the Yankees uh, lineup, at shortstop, they had a young rookie named Frank Crosetti. Um, he was only 21 years old that year. He uh, he, he played in 116 games. Um, he was he was I think he was pretty much their leadoff hitter. Uh, he had only had like five home runs, um, or nine home runs, nine triples, five home runs, and he had a 2.41 batting average. Um, uh, but uh, so Frank Crosetti, that was his first year with the Yankees. He had ended up playing. Uh, played a lot of years with the Yanks, and he ended up becoming a coach for the Yankees as well later on. Um, he was probably like the first, I, th I think he was more known for his defense, but back in those days, especially back in those days, shortstops were more known for defense, I believe. Um, so him at shortstop, Tony Lazari, like I said, at second base, Lou Gehrig at first, of course, Bill Dickey was the catcher, Joe Sewell at third base, Earl Coombs in the outfield at center field, Babe Ruth and right. And Ben Chapman was, I, I think Ben Chapman and Earl Coombs might have switched sometimes between left and center. Uh, ben Chapman was also, um, I don't know if he was a rookie or he was just at least a very young player. Um, so the, those were, those were that was the starting lineup for the New York Yankees in 1932. Some of the uh, reserve players that I had noticed that had some pretty good numbers. Um, one of them was an outfielder named Samuel Bird, who was only 24 that year in 1932. Played 105 games also, 243 plate appearances. He had, um, I think it was about eight home runs, 30 RBIs. Um, he only struck out 20 times that year. Had a 297 batting average. Um, he was mostly a bench player. 
um, and uh, some other guys that had some pretty good numbers. Um, another one was another outfielder, Merrill Hogue, um, who I think I've mentioned as well before. Um, he didn't play quite as many games as Samuel, Samuel Bird. Um, he played 46 games. Uh, he had about 61 at bat, or plate appearances, rather, 54 at bats, which plate appearances is just every single time you get up to the plate at bats. It's not every single time because you don't technically get an official at bat if you get hit by a pitch or um, you get walked. Uh, so was, that's the difference between plate appearance and at bat. Uh, so, I mean, Merrill Hogue had a pretty good a pretty good year. I mean, it was only 46 at bats, but he did hit 370. Um, you know, so it was a small sample. So they had him off the bench. They also had a second baseman uh, infielder named Jack Sotskaver, who was a left-handed hitter, 29 years old. Um, he, he didn't really hit a whole lot, but I believe he ended up becoming the third baseman in the uh, a little bit later um, after Joe Sewell moved on. But um, the uh, one their backup catcher was actually well for the most part was Eddie Collins. And uh, Joe Glenn was also he got, he had played some some games as well. Um, I think that's and I think that's pretty much it. But of course, at that time, Bill Dickey was the guy. Oh yeah, also uh, Arnt Georgians was another uh, backup catcher the Yankees had. He was the like the main backup, but uh, Joe Glenn and Eddie Collins also backed up as well. Um, so uh, as far as uh, Georgians, he. He played 56 games for the Yankees, of course, being the backup. He played had 166 plate appearances that year, uh, a couple of home runs, 19 RBIs, 219. Um, of course, I'm sure he was not known for his offense, but with Bill Dickey, they really didn't need anybody to uh, to hit to back up Bill Dickey because he, he was he was their guy at catcher. And Bill Dickey was like he was kind of like a Yogi Berra without probably with not as much power, but he was a very good hitter. He had 310 for the Yankees that year, 361 on base percentage, um, 15 home runs, 84 RBIs. Uh, so he had a very good year. 108 games he played, uh, 459 plate appearances. And Lou Gehrig, uh, 34 home runs, 151 RBIs. He had hit 349 and had a, uh, 451 on base percentage, which is which is insane. And Tony Lazzari played second base for the New York Yankees. He had 15 home runs, 113 RBIs. Stole 11 bases as well that year. Um, he also got caught 11 times as well. Um, but back then, uh, teams were a lot more aggressive on the bases. Um, Lou Gehrig actually stole four bases, and he got caught 11 times um, in that season. Um, so that tells you how much they used to run. Um, and uh, Tony Lazari also hit 300 that year as well. Uh, um, as far as, far as uh, Babe Ruth goes, like I said, this was his last really great year he was 37 years old played 133 games hit 41 home runs had 137 rbis and um he had a 341 batting average that year with a 489 on base percentage um so of course babe ruth had a great great year he only struck out 62 times that year as well which by today's standards is not a lot at all but back then it was Although I think by this time Babe Ruth, it's I guess if you look at his numbers, I think he struck out less and less and less, um, so which is kind of interesting, um, and I'm sure he was, you know, when he first came to the Yankees, I think that was a big thing that he either struck out or home or hit a home run, uh, but as for the um, that's the lineup. As for the starting rotation, 
The starting rotation for the Yankees pretty much was Lefty Gomez, Red Ruffing, uh, uh, George Pipgrass, and Johnny Allen, and Herb Pennock was also um, a starting uh, starting pitcher. Herb Pennock and Lefty Gomez, of course, you know, being lefty, uh, they're, they're both the left-handed pitchers. Um, Lefty Gomez, only 23 years old that year, had a 24-7 and record. He had a 4.21 ERA and made 31 starts that year. Pitched 21 complete games. So, I mean, almost, except for 10, 10 starts, almost all his starts were complete games, um, which is pretty impressive. He had one save and a shutout. Um, but, of course, back then, a lot of pitchers more often went went to, went the distance. Um, he pitched 265 innings that year. Red Ruffing, um, another uh, another uh, Hall of Famer, was 27 years old, was 18-7 and seven that year, with a 3.09 ERA, made 29 starts, 22 complete games. Um, he actually had two saves and uh, three shutouts as well. 259 innings pitched that year. George Pipgrass, 32 years old, he was 16-9, and nine, had a 4.19 ERA, which is... Not bad, but back then I don't think that was considered that great. Um, but he, you know, he was after Gomez and Ruffing. Um, so uh, George Pipgrass was their third starter, and then they also had Johnny Allen, who was 17 and four that year with a 3.70 ERA. Um, he was a right-handed pitcher, as well as uh, George Pipgrass, as well, who I th- believe they got from the Red Sox uh, earlier. Uh, Pipgrass was a little bit older. But and it was Johnny Allen, who was 27 years old, 17 and 4, 3.70 ERA, made 21 starts, 13 complete games. He pitched 192 innings that year. Um, also, of course, Herb Pennock was still on the team. Um, by then, he was like 38 years old. He was 9 and 5. He had a 4.60 ERA, so he was not the same pitcher that he he once was before with the Yankees. Um, but he still he, he still made 21 starts. He had nine complete games and uh, threw about 146 innings. They did have another guy who made some starts who was 27 years old, a little bit younger, um, named Danny McFadden. He had an ERA of 3.93 with a 7-5 and record. Uh, he made 15 starts that year, 121 innings. Um, so that's basically the starting rotation. Um, some of the relief pitchers, of course, back, back in these days, in the 1930s and 20s, they really didn't use relief pitchers very much and usually if they did it was usually like one or two guys maybe two guys but usually at this point it was only one guy that they really went to and for them it was we'll see Moore, who was a right-handed relief pitcher for the yankees he was 35 years old he was actually um pretty good he had a good year that year he was um 2-0 that year he had a 2.92 era um he had only four saves but i mean of course back then they really didn't need guys to close out games because the pitchers went the distance and so it was just a different game and different strategy involved and it was a lot different he only pitched in 25 innings as well there was another uh relief pitcher named jumbo brown with a 4-5-3 ERA. it was five and two um he had one save as well ed wells a left-handed relief pitcher he was 32 years old three and three with a 4.26 era uh pitched in 22 games um and he actually finished 14 games as well, uh, but he only had two saves. And um, um, the other relief pitcher was Gordon Rhodes, who was one and two. Two, um, he had a he actually had a very big ERA, but he only p- appeared in 10 games. Um, he had like a 7.88 ERA that year. He was 24 years old, um, and he had he had actually I guess he must have pitched um, he must have started in a couple of games, so he had actually had a complete game as well. 
And uh, Jumbo Brown also had a complete game. Um, actually, three complete games for Jumbo Brown. Um, so, I mean, that right there in itself shows you how uh, how how much they really they didn't use um, relief pitchers very much um, back in those days because they they all pretty much went to went the distance. Um, you know, the starting pitchers. So that's basically the 1932 New York Yankees. Um, you know, their that's their team lineup and rotation. So from there, um, I figured I'll go through some of the American League standings. The New York Yankees, of course, like I said, they were 107 and 47 that year, a 6.95 winning percentage. Um, in uh, second place with the Philadelphia A's, they were 94 and 60. The American League was pretty darn good that year. Um, so and they were, they were also a 600 uh, 600 club. They were 13 games back of the Yankees. Um, the Washington Senators, they were in third place, 93 and 61, another 600 uh, uh, 600 600 winning percentage team. They were 14 games back. The Indians were 87 and 65. They obviously had another pretty darn good team. And then the Tigers, um, this is where the it kind of fell off the uh, fifth place team, the Detroit Tigers. They were 76 and 75. So just above 500, one game over, 25 and a half games back. And of course, in last place at this time was the Red Sox. They were 43 and 111 that year. And uh, they had a 279 winning percentage and they were 64 games back of the Yankees. Also, second to last place was the Chicago White Sox, who were 49 and 102. Um, they, uh, they had a 325 winning percentage, and they were 56 and a half games back. And the St. Louis Browns, they had, um, they also had a 91 losses as well. Um, so uh, the St. Louis Browns actually, they were, they were the other team in St. Louis, only in the American League. So that, that's some of the American League. Uh, standings there was so the top of the American League standings were a lot better than the National League standings um, so the American League was definitely stronger than the National League so the American League most valuable player that year was Jimmy Fox and Jimmy Fox of course the Hall of Famer um, you know he really at that time he was really like the guy um, you know because Babe Ruth was really kind of his he had already reached his peak and Jimmy Fox was really one of the guys who was really starting to to really, um, he was like the face of the game, I guess, at that point. Um, so that's the American League side. Now going to the National League side. Of course, the Cubs ended up winning the pennant in the National League in 1932. Um, but uh, as for the um, the standings, the National League really was the weaker league um, this at this time in in, the, in, in baseball history. Uh, but anyways, the Cubs they had a very good team. They were 1964, 584 winning percentage. But of course, you know they didn't even have a 600 winning percentage. And there were three teams in the American League with a 600 winning percentage, as I mentioned before. The Pirates they were um, 86 and 68. They were four games back of the Cubs. And the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers were 81 and 73, 526 winning percentage. They were about nine nine games back of the of the um, of the Cubs. And then after that, there was the Phillies and the Boston Braves, and they were both pretty much two 500 teams. The Phillies were actually a, a couple games over 500. Um, they were like 78 and 76, and the Boston Braves were 77 and 77. Then after that, the other three teams, the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Reds were all under 500. Um, of course, the Reds being in last place, they were 60 and 94, and they were 30 games back. So, I mean, I mean, just looking at the standings right there, the I mean, um, they're, they're the the best teams were in the American League. 
Um, but um, as for the National League most valuable player in 1932 was Chuck Klein, who was actually a Hall of Famer, who I really didn't know a whole lot about. Um, but he's actually a Hall of Famer. He won the MVP that year. He ended up winning a Triple Crown later in his career as well. He was a left-handed hitter, um, throws right. Uh, he was six feet tall. Um, so he, he was, a, I guess he had a much better career earlier in his in his career. Um, but right around the time, I guess around nine, around when he was like 32 years old or so, like the, in the mid-1930s, that's when his, he really, the, like his, his career really kind of took a hit a little bit. Um, it was, I guess, maybe toward like 1938 or so, something like that. But um, anyways, in 1932, he uh, he had a .345 batting average, um, 20 stolen bases, um, which led the league. 38 home runs led the league. 226 hits also led the league, and uh, 152 runs scored. And of course, that led the league too. He was also second in MVP in 1931. Uh, with the Cubs, 31 home runs, 121 RBIs, and in 1933, uh, that's the year he won the Triple Crown with the Cubs. Well, actually, no, he won that with the Phillies. And uh, so he would won that with the Phillies, not the Cubs, actually. Um, but so Chuck Klein, um, when he won the Triple Crown, he led the league in tw- with 28 home runs, 120 RBIs, a 368 batting average, and a 427 on base percentage. Um, of course, triple, winning the Triple Crown is home runs. He lead the league in home runs, RBIs, and batting average, um, which, of course, he did. And after that, he really did not um, do – he didn't win any other awards or do anything else of like that. But he still had some pretty darn good years, like I said, until like 1938 or so. So he was the most valuable player in the National League, and he did end up becoming a Hall of Famer. Um and as for getting back to the 1932 New York Yankees, uh, so uh, the 1932 New York Yankees, they actually spent 135 days in first place. Um, their last day in first place, of course, being the last day of the season, September 25th. The biggest lead that the Yankees had in the season was on September 17th um, of 1932. They had there were 13 and a half games ahead, and uh, their farther they were farthest behind. Three, there were three games back. That was the furthest they were behind in the uh, in the league, the American League, and that was back in May, May third, um, to be exact. Uh, the most games that the Yankees were over 500 were 62 games over 500, which is incredible. That was on September 24th, the day before the last game of the year, um, and uh, most games under 500. They were never under 500 at all at that season. Of course, they were 107. And 47 that year, so you can see why. Um, the, their longest winning streak was 10 games from uh, August 6th to August 17th. Longest losing streak was three games, only three games, and they did that a couple different times that year, actually like three times. But of course, through the through the long season, you're always going to have stretches like that. Um, even the best teams ever are going to struggle at times, even if it's only for three games. Um, the most runs allowed in one game by the 1932 New York Yankees was 17 in one game, and uh, that was in June. Uh, and most runs scored by the New York Yankees in one game was 20, and that was also in June. Um, that was actually in the early part of June when they scored the most runs, and the later part of June when they gave up the most runs, their most runs in a game. 
Um, so the longest game that they played, the 1932 Yankees, they played a 16-inning game on June 4th, uh, or June 1st, rather, in 1932. Um, they were shut out, and they were not shut out at all um, by anybody um, that year in 1932 in the regular season. And, and that they shut out um, their opponent 11 times um, that season. They had um, six walk-off wins that year. And they actually did lose uh, five games via walk-off as well that year in the regular season. Um, as far as some of their splits, home road splits, they were uh, 62 and 15. They're uh, so that that's like um, an 805 winning percentage at home, and uh, on the road they were 46 and 32. So they weren't they weren't nearly as good on the road as they were at home. Um, but I mean, at, at the rate they won at home, they didn't really matter, but they still were a f more than 500 team uh, on the road as well. Um, and uh, as far as the, their first half and second half goes, um, then the first half they uh, won 51 games, 24 losses, and then they won 57 games and 23 losses in the second half. Um, so they played even better in the second half than they did in the first. Um, and uh, as far as in run-run games, they were 32 and 19. Um, as a as a team, they had a 6.27 uh, winning percentage in one-run games. In blowout games, they're 39 and 11, 7.80 winning percentage. Um, in nine-inning games, too, they were uh, 99 and 39, uh, the 7.17 winning percentage. In extra innings, they were nine and seven, so not quite as good. Um, uh, of course, extra innings, you, you, you know, anything can happen. And then as far as uh, some of the teams that they had to face in their division, I guess the Red Sox, that I think that's the team that they had their best record against. Uh, the, they were 17-5 and against the Red Sox and the White Sox, of course. I think I believe they were the two worst teams in the league. And then the Indians, they were 15-7 and as well. Um, they were against them. So that's pretty much uh, kind of how the Yankees did during the course of the regular season in 1932 and of course they ended up in the world series versus the chicago cubs so in the game one of the world series the yankees won 12 to 6 uh red roughing got the win guy bush uh got the loss um and then game two the yankees won that game five to two um as i as i had mentioned before in the called shot episode um you know the yankees won the 1932 world series they won game two of the world series five to two um Lefty Gomez, uh, he got the win. Lou uh, Warnick ended up getting the loss. And Game 3 of the World Series, this is the game where Babe Ruth is called shot. Um, and I had mentioned that in a previous episode. Uh, the Yankees won the game 7-5. to George Pipgrass had pitched that game. He uh, got the win. And Charlie Root got the loss. Of course, the pitcher that gave up the called shot home run to Babe Ruth, um, I believe, in the third inning. Uh, Herb Pennock was the uh, pitcher who came in later, and he got the save. Um, in Game 4, the Yankees won their fourth World Series title ever, and uh, they won that game 13-6 to um, against the Cubs. We'll see more, a relief pitcher. He uh, got the win, and Herb Pennock actually got the save. And I believe that might have been the last year Herb, Pen Herb Pennock actually played for the Yankees as well. Um, but uh, anyway, so the Yankees won in four games. They swept the Cubs. Um, Lou Gehrig had a very good series that year. He uh, he he had a 5.29 batting average that year, three home runs, eight RBIs. Um, uh, Bill Dickey also had a very good uh, World Series. He um, 
he, he didn't hit any home runs, but he had a 438 batting average. Of course, he was more known as a contact hitter, and he was still he was still very young at that time too. Um, uh, Tony Lazzari, he had a 294 batting average. He didn't hit any home runs, but he had two RBIs. Um, and of course, with Ruth and Gary, you know they really didn't need a whole lot of extra offense um, other than other than those two. But um, as for Babe Ruth. Um, he had 15 plate appearances, four games, of course. Uh, he had two home runs for the New York Yankees, and I believe they were both in the called shot, the called shot game. Um, the because uh, uh, so, I believe he had hit one like the third or fifth inning. But I had discussed that in a previous episode that I had done a couple couple months ago. Um, so he had hit two home runs, of course, one of them being the called shot, six RBIs. He had 333 that year. I mean, he had 333 in that uh, World Series. Um, in all four of those games, and he had a 500 on base percentage. So as for the Cubs, some of their um, better the the players that played the best was Gabby Hartnett had a had a good World Series. Um, I believe he only had one home run. He had a 3.13 batting average. There was also Riggs Stevenson who also had a 3.40 or uh, 4.44 batting average in that World Series. No home runs though. Four RBIs I believe, and um, there were a couple other guys who hit home runs. Um, one of them being Kiki. Kyler or something like that, and Frank Damati, um, and he had also had a home run and four RBIs as well. Um, so um, those are just some of the guys for the Cubs that had done pretty well. Um, as for each World Series game, um, I guess I, I won't really go into too much detail, but for the attendance for the attendance for Game One of the World Series in 1932, uh, it was at Yankee Stadium. Of course, the Yankees had the best best record in the league by far. They had 41,459 people in attendance for Game 1 of the World Series. And uh, Red Ruffing ended up pitching a complete game, uh, went 9 innings, gave up 10 hits, but um, only 3 three were earned, and uh, gave up six, uh, 6 runs in total. Um, he had walked 6 batters and struck out 10 as well. Um, so he went the whole game. Guy Bush ended up only going 5 and a third innings, and he gave up 3 hits, 8 runs, and five walks and uh, two strikeouts. Also, give up a home run as well. Um, and then game two of the World Series, the attendance was fifty thousand seven hundred and nine, and that was again at Yankee Stadium. Game one and two are always at the um, you know the better teams park, or the team the team that had the better regular season anyway. And Lefty Gomez ended up pitching the pitching the whole game. Uh, he went nine innings, nine hits. Uh, two runs, one earned run, one walk, and eight strikeouts. And uh, for the Cubs, their pitcher um, Lou Warnicke, or I believe it, that's that's how you pronounce it, but he went eight innings, ten hits, five runs, and four walks, and two strikeouts for the Cubs, getting the loss. In Game Three of the World Series, of course, the Yankees won again, seven to five. Um, in attendance, they had forty-nine thousand nine hundred eighty-six people in Wrigley Field. Because the games were in Chicago, and I've talked about I talked about this uh, a lot more in a previous episode, so you can go ahead and check that one out. Um, of course, this was the called shot episode of uh, when Babe Ruth called a shot, and you know, of course, the Cubs uh, dugout was really getting getting on Ruth. Um, Charlie Charlie Root was the starting pitcher. He got the loss, only went four and a third innings, and George Pitgrass got the win for the New York Yankees. He was their starting pitcher. He went eight innings. Um, just gave up nine hits, uh, but he did give up five runs, four earned, three walks, one strikeout, and gave up two home runs. Charlie Root actually gave up four four home runs in that game, 
and Herb Pennock got the save, um, as I had mentioned before. So then Game 4 of the World Series at Wrigley Field, Yankees had a 3-0 lead. They ended up, of course, like I mentioned, they won the World Series uh, in 4, 13-6. And um, in attendance, they had 49,844 people at Wrigley Field uh, for Game 4 of the 1932 World Series. The game only ended up being two and a half hours, actually just under two and a half hours. Um, it was a day game. Of course, there was a lot of, lot, there. I think they're pretty much all day games, especially at Wrigley Field. Um, the first night game wasn't until maybe 10 years after, around the 1940s, I believe. Um, but I'm not positive. Uh, but anyway, so Yankees won. We'll see more, like I said, got the win. And the save was her Pennock. And that's basically it on the 1932 New York Yankees. And my take on the 1932 New York Yankees is I didn't really, I didn't realize how, you know, they, they had they had a great year that year. And I, they were not expected to do as well as they as they did. Obviously, by um, by the projected wins and loss record that I had given you of only 99 wins, and they won 107 games. So, uh, I mean, I I think that they're probably one of the more underrated teams in Yankees history. But of course, you can't. Um, I I would not put them over Murderers Row or the 1998 Yankees or the 1961 Yankees probably, but they're they're right up there as one of the greatest teams ever in Yankees history. So, uh, before I go, I just want to let you know that the Historic Pinstripes is a proud member of the 4041 Media family with other podcasts such as Psychic Crime, Free Your Geek, Real Talk with Sensei Nick, um, Movie Theater Time Machine, and a bunch of other podcasts and streamers and YouTubers. And you can feel free to go to www.4041media.com for more information. Once again, thank you all for listening, everybody. And as always, go Yankees!